0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cabot Cove Gazette, your favorite Murder, She Wrote podcast, and ours, too. I am your co-host, TJ. I'm Bridget. And we're coming today to talk to you about the episode Menace Anyone from the second season. So, Bridget, why don't you tell us what this episode's about?
1: Sure. In Boston, uh, Jessica is the celebrity guest host for a tennis tournament organized by a former student. And the former student's car gets bombed, killing her fiancé, prompting Jessica to go down this rabbit hole investigation exploring mistaken identities, possible cases of schizophrenia, their term, not ours. And uh, ultimately, just a really great
0: thriller. It is. And I have to say that I really enjoyed this episode. Like I was riveted from the first moment to the last um, for the twists and turns and the admittedly rather problematic depictions of mental illness. (laughs) Um, But what did you think of it?
1: You know, um, well, I this is not my favorite episode, um, but it's not like for any sort of social justice reason that I, I think you'll probably assume. Uh, I just think it's it's a little bit like um, – I suppose the thriller aspects are sort of interesting, but I feel like they're kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, you know, it's called Menace Anyone, but there's like almost no tennis <laughs> for a tennis-themed episode. But that often happens with Murder, She Wrote, so that's not really a gripe. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not one of my favorites and I can't really articulate why.
0: Well, I mean, it seems to me that there's not a lot of like investigating going on, like Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of like sleuthing on Jessica's part. It basically wraps up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I think that the, the usual whodunit component is less of a focus than the sort of mental health is, is, you know, is the, is Carol the, you know, the heroine of the story, quote unquote, crazy or not. Is the question, is the sort of bulk of the episode's interest.
1: Yeah, and, and that she has a sister who she said died three years ago, but then we're also told the sister was around a few months ago, and so – but there's a grave, but there's a psychiatric hospital involved, and so there's all these sort of questions about um, – Carol's mental stability, but also like these questions mm-hmm. about like this sort of ghost narrative, right? Like, where is this sister? Is right. the sister dead? Is the sister even yeah. real? Was there ever even a sister? Uh, it's kind of an interesting question.
0: It is. And I mean, I guess what I enjoyed about it was the sort of Alfred Hitchcockian slash Mary Higgins Clark sort of story. Like, the. the it quest- is
1: really Hitchcocky in that way, isn't it? Yeah.
0: And also a little bit of Mary Higgins Clark with that kind of like cheap thriller of the 80s kind of, you know. Um, That was so prominent during that period. My grandma loved Mary Higgins Clark. And if you've read any of her books, there's a, you know, there's a strain of that kind of, you know, uh, mental, you know, the mental illness, but also the, is the sister really alive? What's going on here? So I enjoyed that about the episode.
1: Yeah, well, and we have some uh, sense at one point that um, perhaps um, Carol, our heroine, as you say, is played by Linda Hamilton. Perhaps she actually is Barbara. Mm-hmm. It's sort of intimated a couple of times. And we have – Jessica's even given some pieces of evidence by the person who turns out to be the real killer. She talks about hearing the two of them fight and it sounded like the same voice but slightly deeper. Mm-hmm. But she only ever saw one of them at a time. And um, Barbara, the sister who's supposedly dead, commits the second murder in the episode, um, which is killing a police lieutenant when he comes to investigate the house. Uh, and Jessica finds Carol shaking and just utterly traumatized on the floor. And what what's happened? Who did this? And she says, Barbara, right? But there's a wig. And so it's just, it's like, did Carol have some sort of mental breakdown and cause all this? But ultimately, Barbara is a real person in this.
0: Yep. And of course, you know, it's- They discover her. And it's all very like psycho, like that whole plot line of the, you know- Exactly, is Is Carol like, has she manifested this new part of her personality to like- deal with trauma i guess like
1: that yeah that's what they say right that barbara did actually die in some plane crash and then maybe carol has been keeping her alive right that whole part
0: feels very half-baked to me and i think maybe that's why you're (laughs) not as like gung-ho about this episode as i am because i think that you're right that or at least that would be my take on it that it's kind of like not as put together as one might want it to be Mm -hmm. you know if
1: it was well it's definitely drawing on like the norman bates trope right Right, and try to spook us out in that right. way. Right, and
0: I mean, I will say that I did find the, the revelation that Barbara's alive kind of interesting because it turns out that she, you know, was an alcoholic, had been struggling, but has ne- and was h- carjacked apparently while driving across the country, and then someone stole her identity and then promptly died in a plane crash. That's pretty wild. <laughs> that is totally wild.
1: It also, I think, what my gripe is, is that um, it, it it's it's a little too convenient. Uh-oh. Like I feel like um, in this plane crash, we didn't. I understand this was, like, pre-DNA testing, but, you know, like, we did nothing to try to determine that Barbara was still alive or that this really was Barbara or, you know, like, who these victims are. And then it just really was questions for me because we sort of – the episode just sort of, like, dusts its hands. Like, oh, okay, we solved that Barbara is alive. But, like, there's an actual human being who lost their life in this plane crash then and their loved ones don't know that they're dead. Uh, and that seems, like, really important. <laughs> we should try to find out who that is
0: right especially since as we know like you know jessica goes to the cemetery where quote-unquote barbara has been buried and there's just this very plain marker no one's taking care of it then she gives money to the care That's tech.
1: weird teach because if they thought it was barbara why yeah why wouldn't they have put a headstone
0: yeah that that so that was one thing but i, I just meant to say that like quote you know kudos to jessica for you know Giving money to a complete stranger oh, to take I'm, care yeah. That was a, a, one of those lovely grace notes that we have of Jessica's, like, just authentic, decent person. Like, I thought that was really nice. But you're right. It yeah. d- even, for, well, it, it was just very weird. Like, the whole thing was just strange that no one in the family has thought to, like, you know, memorialize this dead person in any way. Like, like what about <laughs> yeah. any other member of Carol's family? Like,
1: if they were so traumatized by her death, yeah, they, yeah, right. they it's would like, honor her. What? Yeah, it's
0: literally just a stone slab. It's like a tiny little brick at the cemetery.
1: Yeah, and I think that's supposed to be our clue that there's something sort of spooky and mysterious going on. But it, it doesn't actually feel like it's common with Murder, She Wrote, we talk about this a lot, that if you actually start to like unpack these clues, they kind of don't hold up, right? Right. Um, the other the other part of that, I thought, and I agree with you, when she gives the cemetery caretaker money for flowers and cleaning up the grave, it's really lovely Jessica gesture. Like, she doesn't even know Barbara. But, but that was the other issue that I had was, um, you know, we're told that Carol was a former student at Cabot Cove High, and presumably that's how she knew Jessica to invite her to be the celebrity guest. But Barbara's her sister. Right. Did Barbara magically go to – a different school? I'm pretty sure Cabot Cove only has one school. How come Jessica doesn't know anything about her and doesn't know her?
0: That was also my question, because I was very perplexed by the like the, the lack of knowledge that Jessica had about Barbara. Like this whole ambiguity about whether Barbara exit. Like I, I kept thinking, shouldn't Jessica know this? Like she's yeah. kn- like it just I don't know. It didn't make any okay, sense.
1: Okay, well me. let's give the writers a little benefit of the doubt and let's say that their family let's say the sisters are four years apart and their family moved to Cabot Cove. When Carol was 14 so Barbara had already graduated high school so Jessica never taught her
0: okay fair enough all right so (laughs) this is the kind of like you know (laughs) yes okay so this is the kind of like what is it the writerly text or whatever that people talk about like invites people to you know
1: well I think it's called asking people to make fix it fan fiction about the episode (laughs) yes like to fill
0: in the gaps of you know the lacunae as it were yeah (laughs) of narrative continuity so, yeah, I was not entirely, like, convinced about that whole storyline.
1: But ultimately, the thriller is um, kind of a red herring because the actual murder plot is pretty boring and basic, right? It's that a woman who also works at the tennis tournament, the daughter of Carol, Who's Carol's the daughter? Uh, boss, who we'll talk about the actors in a second, uh, she killed – she planted the bomb because she wanted to kill Carol um, because Carol was engaged to a guy she loved. Right. Which actually, and- like – pretty basic murder plot all things considered right killing over yeah, I mean,
0: you know love i mean i would that's what i mean if i were to kill someone it would be oh tj and... you would not yeah, i'm, just, I'm just saying say if not. i was a murderer i like that would be the motivation like i wouldn't murder for money i would probably murder out of spurned jealous rage however this is a very weird inve- like if i were a murderer what kind we're, of we're talking would about a murder I show of course like it doesn't <laughs> seem that unusual It's not like it's the first time on this podcast that I've mentioned why I would murder someone.
1: I know, and I think like the authorities are going to start to wonder. Well, if someone
0: turns up dead in my life, we'll know uh, they they could use this podcast as an exhibit A.
1: This is getting creepy. Okay, so (laughs) should we talk about the guest stars?
0: Yes, please, because there are very, very good ones this time.
1: Yeah, well, let's start with Linda Hamilton, who plays Carol.
0: I just have to. I mean, although I think that she's underutilized in a little bit of you know the sort of madwoman trope Mm -hmm. in this episode. I just love Linda Hamilton. I've always loved her. And I just think that she exudes a certain kind of like strength. Maybe that's because I, was, you know, obviously having been in Terminator, most notably. But I just, there's just something about her that's very magnetic that I find her screen presence just absolutely riveting.
1: Yeah. So this is two years after Terminator, um, which I thought was kind of interesting because she's playing a very, ultimately a very fragile character. hmm Um, She starts out seeming strong. You know, she's running this tennis tournament. She's kind of got her career together. But she actually, you know, is very mentally fragile. And uh, it's an interesting choice after playing Sarah Connor and becoming famous for that. Because I always associate Linda Hamilton with like, as like a total badass.
0: I mean, obviously, right after this, she's going to be in that short-lived and very strange show Beauty and the Beast uh, which I don't know if you've seen. Oh, I loved that. Me one. Me too.
1: It was in syndication when I was
0: growing up. Did you watch Sometimes it? Sometimes I found it creepy because I thought that it was so. Because the Beast character Vincent is very creepily, you know, created by, um, by Ron Perlman, but makeup and prosthetics yeah, very, very well done prosthetics for the '80s and mm-hmm. early '90s. But anyway, but you know, that's her big role after this, where I'm most familiar with her, other than Terminator, obviously.
1: And I just, like
0: I said, I just love her, even if she is kind of playing a more vulnerable character than we see with Sarah Connor. I just think that she's, there's still a strength there to Carol's character that I really appreciate.
1: So our other big star in this is Van Johnson, and we're all just going to pretend that he's no longer an eccentric inventor, retired to Cabot Cove from Hit Run Homicide. (laughs) Right.
0: And as I said in our episode, you know, back then, I really do like Van Johnson. I think that he- Like Linda Hamilton, has that kind of, you know, charisma that one associates with with genuine stars. Like, there's just something authentic about his performance that I really appreciate. And vulnerable, too. Like, that's the other thing about him. Like, we, as we learn throughout the episode, you know, he's lost his wife and his daughter, who turns out to be a murderer, you know, he does it. Part of the reason that he covers for her is he doesn't want to lose her, which. We may find morally repugnant in the sense of, you know, turning a blind eye to, you know, murder, but it's an understandable human impulse.
1: I have a question about the daughter because there's a moment where Jessica is confronting her and they make a big to do about the fact that she takes some pills with some water. Like we actually sort of, they make a point of showing the pill bottle, um, so it's supposed to be some sort of clue, but it never really went anywhere. And I'm wondering if we're supposed to intimate that she is the one who's mentally ill and maybe that's why she's killing people.
0: I mean, that's what I when when we get to the end, Jessica realizes that, you know, that Elliot, that's Van Johnson's character, has Carol basically drugged in, in his office or in her office like that when he confesses you know his knowledge and compl- and complicity in the murder there is a strong incl- implication that as you say his daughter is mentally ill like he says she's at home sedated you know the the way that she's framed in the flashback where she murders the cop like all of that is very like evocative of this you know mentally ill trope mm-hmm. that this episode mm-hmm. has been dabbling with anyway mm-hmm
1: so it's sort of like um, they're leading us down this path to believe that Carol is unstable uh, and that is actually just covering for Doris's mental illness. Right. It's kind of interesting. Yep. It's also kind of horrifying how everyone just keeps drugging everyone in this episode.
0: Yes. I I mean, because then, you know, what, what amazed me about the, the ending and the climax where we learn that Elliot's sort of in on this whole thing is that the cops are like, well, we're going to take your statement out. I'm like, wait, okay. it's like, wait, 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 wait you're just going to take a statement like you're not going to arrest this person for dragging his employee and leave presumably going to I don't know murder her like what's what exactly like why is not more why aren't more people outraged by this yeah exactly (laughs) like I was kind of flummoxed even but I mean obviously Jessica's empathy for other people is always a key part of herself but in this case I was like Jessica this guy is like kind of a I mean I understand that he's hurting and and trying to protect his daughter and all that and that's that's understandable as far as it goes but it's like he also has drugged and kept captive and and basically like gaslit this person like you should be more outraged I think
1: well I think the episode you know we always talk about how the final frame sort of makes everything okay again and um we we do get like a very tender moment between jessica and carol at the end of this episode but it's not particularly happy it's just sort of like we're gonna be okay right right you're you everything you know you have lost your fiance now you've lost your job frankly through no fault of your own um but you've got your sister back and like you're 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 gonna be okay Mm -hmm. so it's um i think it does recognize that there's been some horrors that have
0: happened and I mean, speaking of the fiancé, like it cracks yeah, me up. Yeah, let's talk about that, It cracks right? me up that he's Brian Cranston, obviously, you know, nowadays. Before he's Brian Cranston. Right, you know, before Malcolm in the Middle, before, or even Seinfeld, or even obviously Breaking Bad. And I have to say, he's quite dishy. Like, I, I was quite, like, <laughs> a- astonished by how, I mean, obviously, Cranston is still very attractive. He's a very good actor. But, you know, he's genuinely like kind of heartthrobby for the 10 minutes that he's on show before he gets blown up.
1: I mean, he's well, that's what I was going to say is like he's basically a red shirt in this episode. Right. I mean, we see him for like two scenes and then he's dead. Um, So we don't really don't get much time to learn anything about him. Other
0: than, you know, he's at least seems to have some genuine affection for Carol and that Carol stole him from Elliot's daughter.
1: You can't actually steal people from other people, though. It sounds that's like she true. like she didn't actually steal him. Like he obviously was more in love with her than he was with Doris, and so he left Doris. And also, like, isn't it really his fault? Like, aren't, shouldn't we be trying to kill him and not
0: Carol? Well, yes, but I mean that that's oh, a, as the as the resident Pisces, the student of human nature and and the vagaries of the human heart.
1: Oh, for the- yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: I will say that sometimes, you know, emotions don't, I mean, now, I know you may not grasp this as a Leo, but sometimes feelings,
1: oh my God, I'm uh,
0: sorry, I don't want to, I don't want to de- de- derail us into astrology gay territory. This isn't my, my other <laughs> podcast where I do that all the time.
1: Anyway, the point that I don't understand about human nature is what precisely.
0: <laughs> but sometimes people don't act as rational actors. Like sometimes people do irrational right. things based on feelings that yes. you know don't make sense to outsiders and probably don't even make sense to themselves. But that's the thing about impulse is that you know you don't always obey the of course. Yeah, rationality. So I mean that helps. I mean not to say, of course that doesn't in any way justify. Trying to murder someone. I'm just saying that, you know, it helps to explain. Well, I'm sure in
1: he, her mind, she thought if she killed Carol, then he would come back to her. Right. right he
0: would come fleeing back to her in, yeah. you know, in desperate solace. And, then and so that- her
1: tragic error is that he actually went to drive Carol's car that night. So she killed the guy
0: she loved. Exactly. Which, you know, I mean, I will say that episode wise, like, we don't get a lot to deal, to work with in terms of the, the murderer. Like we don't really, there's not a lot of depth there. She's
1: barely even in the episode. Exactly. It's sort
0: of a curious thing, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. Which is why whenever Elliot's going on about her, you know, fragile emotional state, it doesn't really feel very weighty. Like as opposed to Carol, who we've been led to believe has been struggling under the weight of both taking care of her sister and all of, and managing all of her substance abuse problems you know, her own stint in the mental institution like or mental hospital. But like, we don't get any of that with the murderer, which makes her motivations seem more opaque or less convincing, just because we don't yes. have that much time with her to really help that land. And as yes. you say, we, other than the throwaway line, you know, where we see her drinking something and taking pills, right? whatever they are, whatever they are. So can we talk a little bit about the moment when Jessica goes to the mental hospital? Cause obviously I know that's kind of like, you know, ubiquitous, in pop culture to see people going to mental hospitals but it's 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 a scene it's a little bit perplexing don't you think
1: well i think i i would disagree i would i wouldn't say it's ubiquitous anymore but definitely like of this time period right um and yeah she goes to the psychiatric facility and she is talking to someone and what i I think is funny is she's like i know that um it's confidential but also um can you give me info (laughs) yes right (laughs) And then the woman behind the desk like starts giving her info, but it, Jessica, after a minute, figures out that this woman is a patient, not an employee. Because
0: uh, there's just so much about it that uh, it's cringy. Let's put it that way. Like,
1: I think that is pretty common in representations of people visiting psychiatric facilities right. in media,
0: though, isn't it? It it's is. like
1: there's always that moment where you think you're talking to a doctor and it turns out it's a patient. Well, ha ha. Right.
0: Which, you know, and I get that. And I, I don't – I'm not usually a fan of like – holding things up to accountability from 21st century perspective, but it also like, it's, I don't know. It just, it left me being like, okay, well now I can understand why people have such an ability to view people with mental illness as anything other than a joke or, you know, Mm. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. because at first the woman's like, well, I'm a writer too, you know, and, you know, studying human nature. And this, there are lots of stories in here. And then she's like, oh, so she's a Pisces. Yeah. Based, I mean, if I were to see what I did there, see what I did there. Yes, there she is a Pisces. That, that, that much I think is amply (laughs) evident. Um, But then she's like, yes, because I'm, you know, my set story set in outer space because that's where I'm from. And I'm just like, oh, really, I mean, it just feels, it's not just that it's, you know, it's not just the, Jokeifying of mental illness—it's just the clunky way in which it's done. I'm just like, okay, I yes. expect better. Uh-huh. Like you know, and I mean to be fair, Jessica is you know is compassionate. And, and oh, Jessica is so wonderful about handling the moment, isn't she? she is and in that sense that's the only thing that saves what is otherwise a very excruciating scene to watch because she also shares that look with the nurse who's like and it's just like oh but why like oh i didn't think tj just made a look you guys that was
1: sort of like oh okay check this one out but i i didn't read the look as that i read it as like oh i didn't quite realize who i was talking to okay and the nurse is sort of like
0: yeah patient. no no i know i no, i meant that that's what i meant i'm sorry i didn't mean to imply more more scathing or mocking I didn't mean that the look was mocking I just meant that it was like that shared acknowledgement but I'm also just like it seems to me a questionable practice to let your patients sit at the front desk like that seems to me like just on the <laughs> right. basic like but you know but that trope or if com- like
1: if the nurse is there anyway like filing papers and she sees Jessica walk in like she wouldn't just be like hey, you know, so-and-so, let me talk to this person instead of you. (laughs) Like, wouldn't that
0: just make more sense? Right. And she's like, she also has been apparently inputting patient data, but that seems deeply questionable for a number of Uh reasons, not the least Uh of which is that obviously she's able to blurt it out to, like, random people who come to the the hospital. Like, I don't know, it just didn't make any sense and it just – it really perplexed me.
1: Well, as you're always telling me, you need to be a more credulous TV viewer <laughs> and not look too far into these things.
0: That's true. I, I am violating my own principle here, apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're reading into this like BK level is what you're doing.
0: That's true. I've, I've been infected by the BK virus.
1: <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the antagonist of our episode, because right. Carol's organizing this tournament, and we have a couple of possible suspects um, like I think the episode very gently wants to suggest there's a couple of other people who could have been responsible for trying to kill Carol. So there's the male tennis player who's like a hothead. I mean, he's also a very flat character, right? It's like this caricature of the hotheaded athlete who like is always getting in trouble and gets penalties and loses games because of his attitude. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you need to calm down. And he's like, or you need to F off. My dad told me not to swear anymore on this podcast. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and then his agent, who's, like, totally uh, unethical, right, was, like, caught, right. I guess, like, stealing money from one of his clients.
0: By forging his, their signature. Is also, like, well, this is all show business. It's, all, like, the, the sport doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just about the, the publicity. So and he's, I, like, know, happy
1: I'll... to represent the bad guy because it's about, like, how much attention he gets rather than how right. well he plays, Right.
0: Right. And I, although I do love the moment where Jessica's like, you know, tennis used to be a gentleman's sport. Like,
1: <laughs> I know. And then he's like, I don't need
0: you. I, can do I, I could you. do without you. I knew I could do without. It was a really well, it was a really brilliant, like very funny early scene. It um, is. Uh, and Jessica is just sort that... of like shocked. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was quite funny. I I really I enjoyed that, that exchange. Yeah.
1: And then we have Cece, the female troublemaking tennis star, who is apparently the big name draw of the tournament, but mm-hmm. basically she's just extorting them for more and more money under the guise of her expenses that they're supposed to be covering, and there's a question as to whether she even actually signed an agreement with them. Um, Which
0: never gets resolved, so I'm still curious. Never gets resolved,
1: part. and this is my question, because after... The car explosion, she's back on the court in her tennis gear. That's like, I thought yeah. you told us you were quitting the tournament.
0: I guess that car explosion gives one moment of soul searching.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was wondering, right? <laughs> you know, it um, really changes the cal-
0: changes the mental calculus, I suppose.
1: <laughs> she also <laughs> has, uh, I think, the standout outfit in the episode when yes. they have the, the tennis sort of gala uh-huh. the night after the tournament do you remember what she's I, wearing yes
0: it's a it's one of the most hideous things i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's wearing like this dress but there's also like a, the, my, well, the other thing i can think of it's like either like it's like tinsel for like a christmas tree like just kind of wrapped around her it's it's
1: like a ruffle and again it like spirals
0: all the way around her it's I was really just, like, bad i was like what is this like what am i looking at now jessica's I'm so glad up. you noticed it too yes jess well it's funny because you know elliot's like what does elliot say something to the effect of like well it's certainly new or you know it's certainly interesting and she's like well that means you hate it so <laughs> it's like oh honey he's not the only one who's hating it
1: I wanted to talk about it on this podcast but then I was like, oh am I going to reveal myself to be some sort of like middle class bourgeois person who like doesn't appreciate like maybe this is like
0: Haute couture. Avant-
1: avant-garde high fashion, yeah.
0: I mean, it's hard to say at this, at this <laughs> remove, right? <laughs> it looks really bad. It just looks really bad. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, I suppose the Jessica's gala outfit, which is much nicer, and like that lovely red outfit dress that she's wearing, like that is much more pleasing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's
1: really, it's also kind of um, not particularly standout-ish
0: in any way. Yeah, I mean, it's very vibrant, but it's, you know, it's quite evocative.
1: I thought, I was more interested in the um, outfit she wears when the agent tells her off that we just talked about. Um, She's wearing this like, really baggy cardigan uh, and then some sort of giant silky necktie thing in typical Jessica style. That's like eight sizes too big covering up the cardigan. Right. Uh, and it just, she just looks very cozy and very uh-huh. 80s, especially with her big yes. earrings.
0: Uh-huh. And I loved that outfit. I did too. Yeah. I thought this was a nice, you know, for the go- for not for the uh, murder shoot fashion corner. I thought that was, you know, quite lovely. I thought this was a good episode when it comes to fashion. Yes. Although the hair, why? I mean, like, especially Linda Hamilton's very 80s hair. I was just like, wow.
1: I don't think I've ever seen Linda Hamilton with any hair that wasn't 1980s hair, because that's pretty much all I've ever seen Linda Hamilton do.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's just... What would
1: she even look like without 1980s hair?
0: I mean, she still looks pretty fierce, I will say. Like, having looked, you know, having fallen down a Linda Hamilton rabbit hole after this episode. Like, she's still, I, I can't swear, so I wasn't going to say what I was going to say. Um But she's still a pretty formidable figure. I I, I appreciate that about her.
1: Um, I think my more troubling was Barbara's hair. It was um, some sort of frizzy nightmare. (laughs) It just, honestly, it looked like the hair and makeup team just didn't even pay attention to her. They were so busy working on everybody else.
0: Right. She's only in this episode for like three minutes at, at most. And I also appreciated, like, well... Two things. One, I appreciate how they didn't. They everything they said everything but AA. Like it's very clear that's the group yeah. that she's part of, but they didn't say the actual name. Yeah, is that but like I, a that,
1: trademark thing or something? It must because be, they talked about like th- working steps and making restitution. I mean, that's all right out of the blank and anonymous programs, right?
0: Yes, exactly. And I, but I also appreciate it. And I mean, admittedly, it's not elaborated upon but i didn't i did like that they had that moment where she's talking about, like i like the representation of someone getting their life back together i i feel that was you know in a culture that tends to be very unforgiving of lapses of that sort and to view them as moral you know moral failures morally, yeah yeah moral failures i appreciated that we had this moment even as understated as it was where we have a character you know speaking about the the struggles of of making its way through that program
1: and of course jessica would be like totally respectful of that and would never hold uh, the past against her, even though apparently they didn't know each other in Cabot Cove. Right. But even if she had, <laughs> Jessica would never, you know, it's like, yeah, you're doing what you need to do and, uh, you know, we, we support you and we start over.
0: Yeah, I like that. I thought that was, you know, a, ni- a nice little gesture on the, sh- on the episode's part.
1: The other sad thing is that, you know, we have the the actual police lieutenant, he loses his life, which is pretty significant in the universe of Murder, She Wrote. I mean, you and I always is, talk yep. about, does Jessica get along with the officer? Or is this an antagonistic relationship? You know, is she helping the investigation? Or is she um, working in the shadows? And in this case, you know, I mean, he loses his life, and she has to work with his partner. And there, I thought there was this lovely moment where the officer, she says, you know, I'm so sorry for the loss of your friend. And the officer is like, I have lots of friends. I only had one partner. Mm -hmm. And it's like really sort of a touching way of thinking about their relationship.
0: Yep. And my my immediate thought was like, for Jessica, I was imagining she was like, well, this would be like, if I lost Seth, like, that's what I was thinking. Like like that's because I think that their dynamic is, is a sort of similar emotional valence to that between like police partners. And so I agree with you. That was a real kind of a gut punch, really, you know, because it was speaking to just how, and he's like, you know, I had to tell this guy's wife, you know, that he was dead. Like,
1: I think in and- a very different murder she wrote, you know, one where we didn't spend so much time on this um, sort of gothic thriller stuff, we, we kind of deserved to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would have maybe known the wife and, like, maybe had a little more involved with that. And maybe Jessica's quest would not have just been to vindicate Carol, but also to, you know, like – bring justice for this man's death because Mm -hmm. that that seems like kind of what murder she wrote often does but we didn't really get that here
0: but it was i i think that it was one of the sort of emotional rich moment emotionally rich moments in this episode
1: it's pretty emotionally rich episode overall i mean this deals with some very deep stuff yeah Um, um and like i said it doesn't really land on a happy-go-lucky note you know it really lands with like yeah there's been some shit happened oh sorry dad um and uh it's gonna be okay but it's gonna take some time
0: right well in that case i'm gonna say that Linda hamilton is a badass that's what i was gonna say
1: <laughs> i already said that so it's fine
0: <laughs> yeah well i know but i just want to reiterate <laughs> you know one of the things i always appreciate about our show is just how much i end up appreciating the episodes even more and i think that's really valuable
1: Me too. I don't think I would put this on my repeat. Um, In fact, when I, you know, I've seen all of these episodes a hundred times, but when this one started for this podcast recording, I was like, I don't quite remember this one. So it's not one that really
0: sits with me, but I
1: think after this discussion, it probably will.
0: All right. Well, for the Cabot Co. Gazette, I am TJ. I'm Bridget. And we will see you all next week. Our theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nakarada, used under Creative Common License. You can find us on social media. We are the Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter.